Yeah, Bo and I go way, 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 way back, and uh, it's just really fun. I was actually scheduled to speak here on this date um, months ago before I became the district supervisor just as a, a pastor, one of her pastors, and so um, I'm just glad that it still worked out for me to be here. And I just before I dive into the word, I want to just tell you how um, impressed I am with Pastor Bo and your leadership, uh, have, how they have progressed through this very, very difficult season how they've led well, how they have um, uh, helped manage just the complexities of all that's happened. Um, and so Bo and her team uh, deserve great, great thanks, Bo, for all that you, how you've led this church in this season. So thank you uh, for that. I... Um, I was one of the first phone calls that Bo made um, after we found out about um, Pastor Brad, and and so I've been in the I've been in the I've been in the weeds with you behind the scenes from the very beginning um, and in prayer. And I was walking this morning, um, and I and it's not been my habit. I can say that it's my habit to walk early in the morning because it hasn't been. But over the last few few uh, weeks it has been and I was up as the sun was rising I don't know if any of you saw the sunrise this morning um, but where I was at the angle that I was at it was um, spectacular I mean it was amazing and I was thinking about this morning and I was thinking about how where you're at as a church and I was just simply praying God would you give give me a, a fresh word the word I have for you is is kind of in this theme of miracles that you've been on but I, I asked for something just right for today, like in this moment. And as I was, as I was walking and the sun's coming up, have you ever noticed it gets um, like really cold right before the sun comes up? Like it, the, it, it drops three or four or five degrees. Have you ever noticed that? Is it just me? It, maybe it doesn't and I just think it does. I don't know. But that's, but the temperature seems to drop and, I, and then the sun pops up. And I was thinking about that, that this has been a season for you um, where where you're in that liminal space where the sun is coming up, but, but it feels a bit cooler than it should with the sun coming up. And I think it's recognizing that it's been a very difficult season and to recognize that, and I'll talk a little bit about that today from the word, but also that the sun is coming up. And I really believe this before. Your best days are not behind you. And you've got some really good days behind you. I know about your church. I spoke here when I was a young 24 years of age, and that was a long, long time ago. And you had some good days. But I really feel Jesus saying your best days are in front of you. And to lean into that, and to rejoice in that, to look forward to that, to see that the sun is actually coming up, even though maybe it doesn't always feel that way. Um, God wants to bring healing and wholeness to this church. He wants, to, um, he wants to restore what the enemy has stolen from you and what the enemy meant for evil, he will actually use somehow for good, for his name. I really believe that. And I wanna encourage you to lean into that. And so uh, Jesus is continuing to work a miracle <laughs> every day at before. So Jesus, we lean into your word today. Reveal something new and fresh that we haven't seen before. Give us insight, inspiration. Help us to know how you want us to live into the future. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for your word and your name. Amen. 
One of the things I know about Beaverton, Beaverton Foursquare, is that you are a people of the word. And so let's dive right in. John chapter five, uh, we're going to look at a miracle of Jesus, uh, the healing at the pool of Bethesda. And in verse one of chapter five, it says, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. And I'm just going to kind of stop as I read and kind of commentate on a few of the things that, I, that we're looking at. So Jesus is on his way um, from, for one of the Jewish festivals. And where do you go? By the way, it's the Sabbath. We'll learn that later in the text. But where do you go in Jerusalem on the Sabbath during a holy feast? The tabernacle. You're going to church. That's what you do. And that's where Jesus is headed. But on his way, he gets distracted by something. And what's interesting, I think anytime you see that Jesus is on his way somewhere and then deviates, you should always like highlight that. Like why? Why does he take time away from where he was headed to do something different? Because it reveals a lot about who he is. Verse two, now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate, a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. And so here is this, this, uh, this um, pool, uh, Bethesda. And Bethesda, it means in Aramaic, it means house of mercy or house of kindness. And so when the people in that context would say Bethesda, they would be literally saying, like we would say, house of mercy. So um, we're I thought we were going to the temple, the disciples might say, and Jesus says, no, we're going to the house of mercy. And so what they find in the house of mercy is really interesting because it doesn't really look or feel like what we might think of as a house of mercy. It's filled with broken people. People who are crippled, people lame, people who are blind, people who are sick. That, this is where they congregated. And the reason they congregated in this particular location is because they believed that there was a moment throughout the day where, the, where an angel would stir the waters of the pool and the first one in would get their healing. Um, and so this was, this was what they believed, and so this was what happened, and so this is where they would gather in hopes that they might be the one that gets into the pool and receive their healing. <laughs> so it, just, it, it doesn't really sound like a house of mercy to me. It sounds like a house of disappointment. I mean, a house of mercy for one person and a house of disappointment for a few hundred people. And so it's ironic, and yet Jesus kind of lands there. He's distracted by this space, by this place. Verse 5, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked, do you want to get well? <laughs> I think this is what they call a rhetorical question. <laughs> Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred while I am trying to get in. Someone else goes down ahead of me. I want you to put, your, put yourself into this person's experience. 38 years he's been waiting for his healing. And he's, 
and, and he hasn't given up hope because he keeps showing up at this pool, but he's not able to walk. And so he's one of the slower guys trying to get into the pool when it's stirred. And I just imagine him day after day, you know, keeping an eye on it and trying to get there, but no one's helping him. And so he can't get into the pool and he just, he almost gets there. And then, you know, Joe over here, he like dives right in. Like, what's wrong with, why, what's wrong with Joe? He's a lot quicker than I am. And he gets his healing. And then this man goes back to where he was lying down and it's just day after day of disappointment. You know, when we talk about miracles, when we talk about healing, when we talk about God, the move of God's spirit, we don't really like to hang out in this tension for very long, especially in the church, I've found. i found that we like, to, we, like, we like to get to the end of the story really fast. We like to know that Jesus is gonna heal this this man, but we don't like the, 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 to live in this tension of 38 years of sitting by this pool and not receiving his healing. This is the part of the faith journey I think we need to talk more about in our small groups and with our Christian friends and the community. We need to talk about like, yeah, sometimes God doesn't heal right away. And yeah, God sometimes allows certain things to happen in our lives. And, and yeah, sometimes I feel like I have more doubt than faith. And, and, and sometimes I wonder what God is doing and why can't, why can't he move more quickly and more often? And, and I think we're afraid of these questions. And I want to tell you what I've learned in my journey, which I'll share a little bit more about in just a moment, is that my faith is deeper as a result of those questions. Because I have questions that have yet to be answered and I still believe that Jesus is a miracle working God. Does that make sense? Like, like that's almost silly faith. That's almost like, that's what Paul would say, like, hey, if this isn't true, then we're all a bit foolish. Because we're, we're putting our trust in a God who's, who can still work miracles, but doesn't always. At the right time that we want him to, or you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like there's doubts, there's, and it's commingled, and I believe that my faith as a result is stronger because of that. Because I choose to believe that Jesus is still working. And then, and then let's keep going here. So verse eight. So then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Ah, oh, there's the end of the story. Then we all like, yes, why could you have gotten there sooner? You know, that's like the part we love, right? And then at once the man was cured and he picked up his mat and walked. And we all go, yes and amen. That's what Jesus still does. But we're living in this tension now, right? We're like, oh, okay, but he was the only one and there's still a bunch of others and it took him 38 years to get there and all of that, right? We, we, we can hold that intention. That's okay. But then something else happens here that really bugs me because what I see in what happens next, I see myself and I see the body of Christ often kind of respond like this. And so the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, first thing, 38 years, 
man's been trying to get healed. He's trying to get his healing. He finally does. And he's walking down the street. A man who hasn't walked in 38 years. He's walking down the street, happening to carry his mat that he was laying on. I think he's carrying it because he's not sure how long his miracle is going to last. Is it a moment? Is it a day? Is it a lifetime? He doesn't know. Nobody guaranteed anything to him. He just knew that, man, this guy told me to get up and walk, so I got up and walked, but I'm taking my mat with me because I don't know if I'm going to be in this state for very long. You know, he just doesn't know. And so he's walking, but it's the Sabbath. And he's not supposed to. He's not supposed to be walking with his, carrying a mat. That's against the law, the religious law. And so the Jewish leaders asked him, just told him, hey, remember the law forbids you to carry that map? (laughs) But he replied, the man who made me well doesn't even know his name. I mean, Jesus, miracle 101, you let everybody know. You post that. That's going on social media. You know, keep that quiet. You let them know the time, the date, who did it, how it happened, and when it's going to happen again. <laughs> you know? and, they, and, and he doesn't even know Jesus' name. So the, he said, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. And so they asked him, well, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? And I think there's some religious people like going, it was Jesus. I know it's Jesus. He's been, he's been you know, making us mad about this whole Sabbath thing. I'm pretty sure it's him. And so the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. So later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. I absolutely love this story. But I do see myself in how these religious people responded to Jesus and to this man because they went right to the rules. They went right to what is unacceptable. And John consistently highlights the growing tension between Jesus and the religious institution. And he's still doing that. Jesus is still challenging the religious institution that gets in the way of the move of God's spirit in this generation. Every miracle that's recorded reveals something about Jesus. That he would go out of his way to a pool with a bunch of broken people and and he would be with them and he would spend time with them. Maybe the people that genuinely needed Jesus who were broken would actually receive him. Jesus came for who? The well or the sick? The people who think they're fine, I'm fine, I'm good. Or the people that know that they're sick. See, Jesus came for those who know that they need a miracle. And this is interesting. By this time in this story, the temple was... um, was a place for atonement. So you would bring your sacrifice for your sins and you would bring them to the temple and you would sacrifice for forgiveness. And so the temple was considered a place for atonement. What it wasn't considered as a place for healing. And the reason is because that there, the, there was a lot of purification laws that disallowed certain people with certain ailments to go into the temple to receive anything. 
to sacrifice or to receive healing. And so the temple was known as a place for forgiveness, but not as a place of healing. And so Jesus, because he's not just interested in forgiveness, he's also interested into, in, into wholeness, goes to where broken people are. And it tells me a couple of things. One is that Jesus is with us in our brokenness. Sometimes I think we believe that God's presence is second best to God's power. We want, we want to see God move. We want the healing. And, and I get that, I understand that. But sometimes we minimize in the process the value of his presence. That he is with us in our brokenness. When my oldest son um, died, it was a Thursday morning and we were um, in my office, my wife and I, it was about eight o'clock in the morning and we get a knock at our office door and there's three police officers there and that's never good news, right? And so they come in and then they tell us that our son had died in a one car accident on his way uh, to work that morning. And... Um, I, I, I can't even describe to you. Um, yeah, there's just no words. Everything changed. And I remember sitting on, a, on the couch in our office. We didn't know what to do. We were just weeping. Um, when, you, when you read scripture and you, you, you know, it says that they, they were weeping and wailing. Um, it's probably a good description and we were, and so um, Ken Johnson, who was the former pastor of the church that I became the lead pastor of that Bo and I served on for many years together, he, still a friend, good mentor of mine, and he, he came in. Somebody obviously called him, and he came into our office and sat down next to me. And the reason I tell you this and, and what he did is because from that day forward, I had a picture of Jesus that I never had before. Ken came in and he sat down and he put his hand on my shoulder and all he said to me directly was, I'm so sorry. And then I heard him whispering and I could tell that he was praying. That's all he did for what I think must have been hours, a couple hours as we sat in my office. And um, he didn't try to fix it. He, try, he didn't try to make me feel better about it. He didn't, um, he didn't start opening up the Bible and reading scriptures that one day I would need to hear, but it wasn't that day. He didn't say to me what a wonderful sister would tell me that very next Sunday, at least you still have three sons. Or the next Sunday when another brother would, came up to me and said, just remember God is good all the time. <laughs> I metaphorically punched both of those people, by the way, uh, when they said that, those two things. I just like, no, that's not what I want to hear right now. And he didn't do that. He, he gave me a picture of a God who weeps with. 
a God who sits with, a God who gently heals and restores over time. And that is as much a miracle as what Jesus did for this crippled man in one moment. And that's the Jesus um, that I know today is one that, yes, does, can and does heal instantaneously. And I pray for it, and I believe for it, and I contend for it at every moment. I don't stop praying. And I don't, I don't preface my prayers, you know, God, if you want to. <laughs> I mean, God wants to. He wants to heal. He wants to restore He wants to make things new. And so I pray with confidence and I contend for the fullness of God's spirit to happen in our lives. I contend for that. And I hold this other thing in tension that Jesus is with us in the meantime. And that's not second best. It's as good if not better. A God who weeps with us. And when we forget this, that God is with us and we start trying to, um, you know, we're trying to make rules around how God heals and what he does, we end up starting to look a lot like the Jewish leaders who start look, you start looking for someone in the act of sinning rather than looking for those who are broken. You ever done that? Where you start, where you start, you start, you feel like you have to defend the faith because there are people that are that are ruining it, and I've got to fight for it, and I've because nobody else will. And somehow we forget that this thing has lasted for two thousand plus years without your help, and it's going to keep going and thriving even in the United States of America. Because God is God and Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father and all authority is in his hands and I'm confident that he will get his way. So I rest in that. But sometimes if we allow just, you know, cynicism to seep in and we begin to like, well, you know, if God's not gonna do something, I'm going to. And so we end up judging rather than showing mercy. There's another response though. Sometimes we'll just like cloister back together. You know, if we don't fight, well, at least let's, Let's create communities where it's just those of us that we agree with and and it's a safe group of people. And Jesus flies in the face of that too. He goes to people that are not like-minded. He hangs out with sinners. And as a result, he creates an opportunity for God to move rather than missing the move of God. It's interesting at this time that this story took place, religious leaders often tied um, people's sickness or injury um, to sin in themselves or in this, their families. Maybe some of you remember the story there was where the disciples came upon a sick person and they asked Jesus, is this his fault or the fault of his family? Like who's to blame for his sickness? And, and Jesus says, it's neither, you're missing the point. It's so I, my glory will be seen. Um, and, and, and yet we often do that, don't we? Well, we try to blame 
hard things on God's judgment and punishment? Have you ever heard someone blame a natural disaster, which are still called acts of God, by the way, right? Have you ever heard them blame a natural disaster on the sin of a particular region? Well, they're getting what's due them because they, have you ever heard that? AIDS epidemic, when I first was pastoring in my early 20s, that's when the AIDS epidemic began, and I distinctly remember hearing people say that AIDS was God's judgment on queer people. I'm like, what? God, forgive us. Jesus dispels this kind of thinking over and over by the way that he moves into people's pain and suffering, even to the point where he will ultimately give his life for us. He suffered so no one else has to. This is, this, I, I could feel the tension in the room, right? And so this is good that I'm a guest speaker and not here next week. So I could feel that. <laughs> I was entrenched in the, into this way of thinking, not by, my, by choice. I was just entrenched into this idea that um, today God's judgment is a result of our sin. And uh, I didn't really take into account Jesus. <laughs> I didn't really think about his grace and, and how now God sees humanity through that lens of Christ's sacrifice. I was just still kind of stuck in this older way of thinking about God's, about sickness being God's punishment. And, and so the day after Chase died, I woke up and um, there's one story on my mind, one story from the Bible. I mean, and it's like, it's like when you, you know when you first wake up and you have something on your mind and it's like just right there, you, you, you don't know why you're thinking about it, but it's just right there because you were sleeping a, a, you know, a half a second ago and then all of a sudden you wake up and you're like, you know what I was thinking about? I was thinking about the sin of David with Bathsheba and how God killed their son because of David's sin. That's sick that that would be the thought that I was thinking about the day after my son died. And listen, listen, I, it's not because I don't have stuff in my life that would be categorized as sin, I do. And I remember going to God with all the list of things. God, I don't know if, I don't know if you took my son because of this, but I repent, or because of this, so I repent, or because of this, so I repent. And it was just this, this it was weird. And then God, like, clearly, like, like um, it was one of those, like, really direct words that, you, that I get from God every once in a while where it's like, you know, stop this. It was a rebuke. And he said, stop, stop thinking this way. And this is what he said, and, and um, it, it forever changed me. He said, my son, he said to me, my son died for your sin. Nobody else has to. Right then, it was like all years of this broken theology were just begin to be fixed, where I began to realize that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, that, that, that there's, this, there's this sense in which we are broken, Yes, 
but God's not looking to punish us with sickness because of our sin. He's looking to bring healing and forgiveness and restoration wherever there is brokenness. Not more pain. Why do you think Jesus came? Why do you think he took all of that pain and all of that torment upon himself so that then we could have that same experience for our sin? No, he took all of it on the cross and said, it is finished. There is no more payment that has to be made. Jesus goes to those places with us. And this leads me to the last thing I want to mention today is that as a result of this reality of Jesus being with us, like really with us in our brokenness, we need to be with others in their brokenness. If you have ever dealt with long-term illness or with the loss of a loved one, the desperation and feeling of aloneness that goes along with deep grief. And I imagine this hurting man in the scripture, he, he, was, he suffered for so long. He watched so many others uh, get their healing. He started to wonder, God, why don't you do something? Have you forgotten us? Have you ever felt that way? Like, God, have you forgotten us? Why don't you? Why haven't you? When will you? And the hard truth is that while Jesus will eventually meet that lame man's needs, hundreds of others in that moment probably never got that attention or that healing. And I think we can begin to wonder, God, why don't you do something? And it's in that moment, I think of Bruce Almighty. <laughs> I'm sorry, I do. I can't help myself. Movies every once in a while just come flooding in. And I think about Bruce Almighty. Jim Carrey, it's a cute little movie. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there's this part where everything falls apart for Bruce. Everything goes from bad to worse. He ends up getting beat up by some guys when he tries to help someone on the street. And one of my favorite scenes is when he gets home after being completely destroyed by this group of guys. And he's talking with his girlfriend, Grace. And, he, and here's the dialogue. I'm just going to read it to you. I think it'll be on the screen. Grace says, well, thank God you're all right. <laughs> Bruce says, God, yeah, let's thank God, shall we? For his blessings are raining down upon me. Wait, that's not rain. <laughs> and Grace, Bruce, please don't do that, honey. You know that everything happens for a reason. And Bruce says, that I don't need. That is a cliche that is not helpful to me. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. I have no bird. I have no bush. God has taken my bird in my bush. And Grace says, oh, I see. God is, God is picking on you. Is that what you're saying? And Bruce says this. He's ignoring me completely. He's far too busy giving Evan everything he wants. It's a humorous little thing, but it's, uh, it's, it echoes the feeling that so many people outside the church, especially, but I think even within the church, have about God. This feeling that he has left me that I'm alone in my suffering, that he's never going to heal me, he's never going to restore me, he's never going to work with me, he's never going to, he's just forgotten about me. And you know what the response of Jesus is to that? 
to a world that has decided that God is not with us anymore. You know what Jesus' response to that is? The church. It's you. And it's me. It's, it's, it's both empowering us by the Holy Spirit and then sending us into this world, not away from this world and certainly not to fight this world, but to be with this world in their brokenness, in their pain, and by the power of the Holy Spirit to bring healing and wholeness and restoration wherever our feet go. That's what God has called us to. Rather than looking for for people to blame or for God to blame, rather than looking for the sin in people, we can start looking for those who are broken and in need and going to them with the grace and kindness and mercy that brings them to Jesus. Rather than standing in judgment above this world, we can show compassion and kindness. Rather than staying huddled together in a safe little cloister of Christians, we can be empowered to go and serve and lay our lives down for others. And in so doing, that's creating opportunities for God to do the miraculous through you and through me. So Jesus, would you help us? Would you help us to move toward the broken, the lost, the hurting? Would you help us, Jesus, to be comfortable in the tension of now but not yet? Now I see, but I haven't fully seen. Now I experience, but I haven't fully experienced. That we'd help us to live in this tension that Jesus, you are working, you are moving, you are being with us. Help us, Jesus, to live in this world by the power of your Holy Spirit. I wanna pray a prayer. And really, it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm gonna pray for. I'm gonna pray for an empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Um, Pastor Ken, my mentor, used to say that he prays for the, the, pap, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit every day because he leaks. And so we just kind of leak, we leak, and we need a refreshing fullness of the Holy Spirit upon our lives. And so if you'd like to receive a fresh impartation of the Holy Spirit, would you just put your hands out in front of you like you're about to receive a gift from God? That's just a, just a sign between you and Jesus that this, you're asking for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit in your life. And then maybe whisper this prayer, Jesus, fill me with your Spirit. Baptize me with power. Help me, Holy Spirit, live in this world according to your word and by your spirit. Help me to see the needs around me. Help me to respond according to your word and your way. Holy Spirit, guide me, direct me, overshadow me, flow through me, change me. <laughs> I pray all of this 
the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.